You have to read it three times to make sure it makes sense. And if you understand it, it makes sense. It starts you. You ever had that happen before? So in my research and my study for this message this week, and you know we started this series, Resurrecting the Hope, but the message that was for today, I couldn't preach today because of the day of celebration. And I can't preach it next week because it's Mother's Day. So, because once we get to the message, you're going to understand why I put it off for two weeks. But this morning, we're recognizing our graduates, but I want to remind you, church, and it's very tempting to tune me out this morning. Because you think I'm just talking to them. But this morning, the reminder is what I'm going to share applies to all of us, whether you're a graduate or whether you've been working for 20, 30 years or whether you're retired. Because the question we want to answer this morning is, how do I make a difference? How do I make a difference? As I was thinking about this and doing some research, I came across a fact and it bothered me. It says the average lifespan for the Americans today is a little over 78 years. Let that sink in for a second. The average lifespan right now is about 78 years. That means high school graduates, you got about 60 years left. That's encouraging. But it gets better. Think about it this way. High school graduates, you just completed or you're fixing to complete the first quarter of your life. Some of you are in the first, some of you are in the second. The second quarter is between the ages of 20 and 40 years. Which means you haven't even reached half time yet. That's the second quarter. If you're between 40 and 60, you're in the third quarter. And if you're between 60 and 80, you're in the fourth quarter. And those of you who are above 80 years old, you're in the bonus round. <laughs> Based on this theory. But here is the reminder this morning, no matter where you are, what quarter of life you are in at this moment, Here's the reality, that no matter what stage of life you're in, there's an urgency to life. No matter what quarter you're in, there's an urgency to life. Whenever I go to Hobby Lobby with Lady and Rachel, I will usually get Hobby Lobby very good. I'm going to try to avoid it, but I'm okay with it. But typically when I go to Hobby Lobby and Laney can attest to this, I will usually stop by the hourglass. I'm just fascinated with it. But this morning, this serves as an illustration. And just to let you know, this is not going to be who finishes first the preacher or the hourglass, okay? So just go ahead, because this is a 60-minute time. So without worrying about that. But here's my point. Our life is like this hourglass. The difference between my life and this hourglass is when the sand finally runs out, I get to turn it over and start over again. But for you and me, our life, if we're equating it to this hourglass, once the sand runs out, life's over. It's done. I don't get a review. I don't get a restart. So as the sand runs out, the question we all wrestle with is what am I going to do with my life? What do I want to try to accomplish in my life as I'm here on this earth? How can I make a difference to those around me? Take a copy of God's word this morning. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. 
to the church at Colossae. As they're dealing with a lot of different things, and he's trying to encourage this church that is bombarded with a lot of different ideologies and theologies. And Paul wants to be that encourager. And Paul desires to be in person at the church. But we're going to learn in a little while why he can't be there. But he writes this letter. In Colossians chapter 1, I want us to look at this morning, specifically verses 21 through 29. As we're halfway through that first chapter of this letter. This morning, I want us to read through these scriptures. I'm going to come back and unpack a few of them for us this morning. But starting in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And you, you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I have called
died for all of us. No matter where you are in your walk of life, no matter what you're dealing with, Jesus was sent to die for you. Jesus didn't die for the rich. He didn't just die for the poor. He didn't die for just the healthy. He didn't die for just the sick. He died for everyone. And that's a reminder through Scripture that you and I have been reconciled, brought back into a right relationship with Him. I am concerned today that every time you hear the phrase, Jesus died for you, you kind of go, there's no awe anymore. There's no reverence. There's no hearts being bursting forth because of the reality of what took place. We hear the phrase every Sunday, Jesus died for you. Are you still in awe of that this morning? Does that still overwhelm you today? Because it should. That reminder should overwhelm us every day of our lives. That someone would love us enough to send his son to die for our sins. Now I remind you this morning that the church that Paul is writing to is under the influence of Roman gods and Greek gods. For some of our high school students, they're going to go and take a class in philosophy. And in that philosophy class, they're going to go throw in a little bit of what the Romans would have learned, what the Greeks would have learned as far as mythology goes. And we all studied mythology to a point when we were in school. But if you studied it at any point, you know that you learned about those who sit upon Mount Olympus. People like Athena, Poseidon, Zeus, and Aphrodite. But here's the interesting part. If you study mythology, none of the Roman Greek gods ever gave a moral code because they don't care about people. If you don't believe in studying and research these gods and these deities, I had not realized or I had forgotten that Zeus, who was supposed to be the number one god, had a father, Cornus. And apparently his reputation was eating his children so they wouldn't overthrow him. Wow, I want to worship that one. And then there's Zeus. Y'all know who Zeus is. But according to mythology, Zeus created woman to be a pain for man. And I'm not going any further than that one either.
and wants to walk with me because I want to walk with him. So I'm reminded of the one who made a difference in my life, and that is Jesus Christ. And because of God's love for me, because outside of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are socially distanced from God. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, you can't have a relationship with God because you don't know his son. And you're distant. Yet Paul tells the church, listen, there's a God who loves you, who wants to reconcile you and bring you back again into verse 22. Look at what takes place here. He says, in the body of his flesh for death, to present you, notice this, to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Why did Jesus die? To make you holy. Scripture tells us this. Jesus died to make you blameless. I stand reconciled before the Father. He died to make me holy. <coughs> and I think about that. The holiness of God and being that we're no longer above reproach. That means I can take that sin that I've wrestled with and turn it over to Him and leave it with Him because Jesus is the one true light. And I'm going to pursue Him in all righteousness. And we should grow weary of this. We should never tire of the fact that has made a change in our lives. Romans 5 20 says, where sin increased, grace multiplied all the more. As a child of God, we need to realize that the gospel changes everything, and the gospel has enough power to change your life. But are you still in awe? Does it still overwhelm you? Does it still captivate you? Does it still hold you? Because no matter what order you are in your life, first, second, third, fourth, or even the bonus round, no matter where you are, you have a Savior who made a difference in your life. And you should acknowledge that. And that's the first step in making a difference in this world, is living a life that says, yes, Jesus changed me. And I want the world to know but there's a second thing you need to do in order to make a difference in this world. The second thing is simply this. Anticipate difficulties for your faith. Anticipate difficulties for your faith. Look with me at verse 24. One of the most unusual verses in Scripture. We're going to unpack it a little bit. But notice what Paul says in verse 24. I now rejoice in my suffering. Paul says that he is happy to suffer for us. Now remember, Paul desired to be at the church. Paul wanted so badly to give this letter to the church. But if you were to turn over to chapter 4, you're going to realize why Paul can't give this letter. Paul's in prison. Paul can't be there physically. But he can be an encourager through his words. His desire is to be there. But notice what he says in verse 24. I now rejoice in suffering. How many of you rejoice when you're hurting? How many of you rejoice when you suffer? How many of you rejoice when you wake up in the morning and hear a new creek? A new crack? Hmm. And you wake up and you go, that didn't take anything. But Paul says, even while he's in prison, even while he is suffering for the sake of the gospel, Paul says, I rejoice. Because he's reminding me, he's reminding me this morning that as a child of God, 
If you claim to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're going to suffer. Woo, they're going to have to sign for that one, don't they? But you're going to suffer for the sake of Christ. He talks about this. And he's reminded of what Jesus has told him. Think about this. Paul's in prison. He's trying to be an encourager. Listen, if you and I were in prison, being an encourager would be the last thing on our mind. And I believe that you and I were sold out for Jesus Christ. It could be the same encourager. But I want to show you for a second what Jesus says about those who suffer. Take your copy of God's Word. Turn back over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is the middle the beginning rather of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he shares the Beatitudes about what it means to be blessed as a child of God. Jump down with me in Matthew chapter 5. Jump down to verse 10. And notice what Jesus says here. He says to the crowd sitting on the side of that hill by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus says these words starting in verse 10 of Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they rival and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward where? Where? In heaven. Not here. Your reward is not here. Your reward according to scripture is in heaven. Verse 12 finishes, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. To live for Jesus Christ today is not easy. And there are real obstacles in living for Christ at every stage of life. Doesn't matter if you're in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, you work, you're retired, every stage of life there's obstacles. There's somebody who's going to stand in front of you and say, why do you believe in Jesus? Why are you going to church? Why aren't you sleeping in on Sundays? There are so many different obstacles that you and I are going to face. They're going to affect us. And when we face those obstacles, that's where the rubber meets the road. And you and I either say, yes, we love Jesus, we worship Jesus, or we stand and we deny him. Because so many difference for you. They're going to be difficult. They're going to be challenges. Listen, today is hard to be a follower of Jesus. And let me remind you why. Take the Bibles one more time before we come back to Colossians and turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me remind you what these obstacles are that you and I face as a child of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 say this. Again, Timothy is being encouraged by these words. And Timothy is being told this. He says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you're a person that marked your Bible, I would underline that verse, put a star by that verse, and be a reminder that every day you're going to get persecuted. Every day you're going to deal with hardship. Every day someone's going to mock you for what you believe. Every day someone's going to mock you for the music you listen to. We glorify God. Someone's going to mock you for the books that you read to encourage you in your walk with God. It's going to happen. Scripture tells. 
If you don't believe verse 13 isn't true, try watching CNN or Fox News. Because we'd rather listen to an opinion of someone who's educated rather than make an opinion for ourselves based on what God's Word tells us. Because we're going to face difficulties. We're going to face challenges. And it's amazing how our Lord has changed. I'm going to introduce you to a term that I have never heard before that makes all the sense in the world. A number of years ago, there was a study done by the Harvard School of Public Health. And it talked about ratings creep. Ratings creep. Let me explain what that is. It's when movies and music and books contain significantly more violence and sex and profanity than the average music, movies, and books did a decade ago. To tell you how times have changed, in the 1970s and 80s, an R-rated movie was an R-rated movie. In 2020, a PG-13 movie is just as bad as an R-rated movie. They've allowed it to creep in. They say, you know what, we won't be as explicit here, we'll just put a little bit of a dab and pinch here. And we allow this to creep in to everything that is part of our environment. The music and entertainment we enjoy, we have to judge by a specific standard. You and I have to be careful when we allow it to creep into our lives. This morning, I would strongly encourage you to adopt a strong principle. Listen, there are things you should not watch. There are clothes you should not wear. There are some websites you should not visit. There are some music you should not listen to. And there are some places you should not go. But allowed because of the rating creeps, you think, oh, it's okay now. I can watch this, listen to this, do this, hear that. Because we've allowed it to creep in. And it's not blatant, that's the thing. It didn't just magically show up. It's slowly progressing. Listen, I'm so scared there's going to come a day when a PG movie is just as bad as an R rated movie. Because society's going to say, it's okay, everybody listens to that all the time. I don't. But why should I allow it to creep into my life? And the problem is too many of us have allowed it to creep in. And not even realize that it's coming in. So how do we fight this? How do we fight this from creeping in? I think you look back at verse 24 of Colossians chapter 1. And notice what Paul says here. And I'm going to say this. That this is probably one of the most unusual verses in Scripture. But I know what Paul says here. He already told us that I now rejoice in my suffering, but he says for you. But then he says, fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. So how do I keep the raging grief from sinking in? I need to fill up in what's lacking. In other words, I need more of God and less of the world. I need more time in his word and less time visiting a website I shouldn't be looking at in the first place. I need more singing praises to him and to listen to what they call music today, which is very questionable. I need to fill up with what's lacking in my life. What areas do I need to have more of Jesus in than less of the world? But when you read this statement, and you read it in its entirety, he says, I now trust my suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of 
need to be done. Because that sacrifice was for me and for you. But as I read verse 24, this idea of lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. There's some different schools of thought when you read this verse. There are some Bible scholars who believe that this verse is talking about the second coming of Christ. And the Bible tells us that before Jesus shows up, as a believer, you're going to suffer. As a believer, you're going to deal with hardships. As a believer, it's going to get worse. How many of you think the world's bad now? Guess what? It's going to be a hundred times worse before Jesus shows up. Revelation tells us this. Revelation tells us and informs us what's to come. In Revelation 13, verse 8, we read about the mark of the beast. And the reality is we don't know what that mark looks like. It could be a tattoo. It could be a chip. A thing under your skin. We honestly don't know. But we think about the mark of the beast. There are some scholars who think it's a reference to the authorities in the book of Daniel. But John tells us in Revelation, not only to watch out for the mark of the beast, but he says, if you don't get the mark, you can't buy things, you can't sell things, you can't get anything without that mark. As a believer, you don't want to take the mark because you don't want to associate yourself with that thought. <laughs> but there may come a time when you're desperate. And you've got to make a choice. I stand up for Jesus and what he's done for me are go with the flow of the world. And that's the warning John gives us in Revelation. Because I'm reminded over and over again there's an adversary who is very present today, who's very alive and would do nothing better than make God's children suffer. So I need to be aware of what's going on. But I need to understand that because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross, I can reject what the world has to offer. I can reject the Antichrist when he shows up. And I know I'm going to suffer. But here's the thing. Living for Christ will have its obstacles, but it will be worth it every challenge. It will be worth every challenge you face. This morning, you and I can come together and worship in public. We can sit in nice pews, discuss the temperature. But we can do this. We can do this every day of the week. And not worry about somebody storming through those doors wanting to arrest us. Yet we take this for granted. Because we forget the one who did something for us. We forget the life we're going to be living. And the difference we can make. The third thing I want to remind you this morning is that you and I want to make a difference in the world. We need to share Christ every chance you get. You need to talk about Jesus at every opportunity. And this morning, I would challenge you in this. I would challenge you to look for every opportunity to share Jesus with someone. Why? The gospel is too valuable to keep to myself. The gospel is too valuable. You can have all the riches in the world. You can have all the cool things. The big house, the nice car. The retirement plan is going to set you when you get to the bonus round. But none of that matters outside the gospel. Because the gospel trumps all of that. Because the gospel is more valuable than what you got in your bank account this morning. The gospel is more valuable than what you drove here this morning. And because the gospel is so valuable, there's 
strange hit a hole in one on the 12th hole of the Masters. A hard three. There's a little body of water that runs between the tee box and the green. Now, half of you have already lost a bear with Hard threes are a nightmare. Because when I play golf, there's a body of water, I'm just going to put the ball in the water anyway. I'm not even going to hit it, I'm just going to throw it in there and get on the inside of the hole. Because no matter how afraid I hit the ball, I'm going to the water. The Curtis Strange, beautiful part three. You see up here, hole number 12. It's a beautiful hole. Curtis Strange hit the hole in one. He walks up to the green. He picks the ball out of the cup. He looks at it and then throws it in the creek. Well, a little later after he played that round, the media lost their mind. The media's like, Curtis, what are you doing? You just hit a hole in one. Why didn't you keep the ball? And he's like, what am I going to do with the golf ball? And one of the words said, you give it to your grandkids. And Curtis Strange said, I hope you give a little bit more than a golf ball. Listen, getting a hold of one would be amazing. I can tell you right now, and this is being recorded, so I can say this with assurance. Jimmy Hathaway, if I ever hit a hold of one, I'll never play golf again. <laughs> Why mess it up? Why mess it up? When we think about where we put our value, Make your faith last a lifetime. 
after godliness every minute of the day, every day of the year, every season of your life. You should always be growing and continuing in your faith. This morning, to the high school students, we gave them a reference Bible. <coughs> to our two college graduates, we gave them a study Bible. So they can dive a little bit more into God's Word and see what God has for their life. It's about staying in constant rhythm with God, staying in His Word, in your prayer life, in your devotional life, in your worship time. But here's the problem. Some of us treat Christianity like a seasonal thing. And let me explain. We like Jesus in the fall, but He's not very fashionable for the spring and the summer. We treat Christianity like it's a fashion. We treat it like a 1980 member's only jacket. It's only good for a season. And after a while, it fades away. So what are you doing with the gospel? Again, what are you doing to grow in your faith? Look at 29, chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 29. Paul says, To this end I labor, striving according to his works, which works in me mightily. God gives us the ability to serve him. God gives us the ability to share the gospel with him. God gives us the ability to live out of faith according to his works and his will if we'll just listen and follow him. Easier said than done. But we have his word to guide us. We have those who teach us in Sunday school to encourage us and help us. So think about this question as we close our time this morning. What are you doing with your life? Albert Einstein was born in a train going from Princeton, New Jersey to Boston. Albert Einstein gets on the train and he starts frantically looking. The conductor comes to him and says, Mr. Einstein, what's the problem? I can't find my ticket. The conductor says, sir, relax. I know you've got it somewhere. We all know who you are. You just take your seat and we'll help you find the ticket. And for a moment, Einstein's like, okay, but then he starts frantically looking again. The conductor goes through the whole train, punching tickets. He comes back to Albert Einstein and says, Mr. Einstein, everybody in this train knows who you are. We know you didn't stick on. We'll get you to your destination. To which Albert Einstein said this, I appreciate that, but I can find that ticket nowhere I'm going. <laughs> this morning, this morning, do you know where you're going? This morning, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? This morning, how are you going to make a difference in this world? I told you at the beginning that this is not just for these graduates. This is for all of us. Some of us are reminded. Are you still in awe of who God is? Are you still willing to share the gospel with the one who shared it with you? Are you still lacking things you need to grow in? This morning, where are you going in your walk with him? Where are you going in your relationship with him? Every head down here got closed. This morning, there may be some here who can't ask you to answer the question where you are going because you don't have a relationship with the Father. You don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior this morning. Because you don't have a relationship, you haven't accepted the free gift of salvation this morning, you can change that. This morning, you can say yes to Jesus. This morning, you can ask Him to be Lord and Savior of your life. This morning, there are some of you who know who Jesus Christ is, but you're lacking in the name of Christ because you allow things to creep in. 
you allow activity and stuff to take the place of God in your time of worship with Him, in your time of studying His Word. This morning, you can take those things and push them to the side and become refocused on the things of God and rededicate your life here this morning. For some today, it may be a desire to be part of this fellowship. Only you as individuals this morning can answer the question where you're referring to. My ministry is turning to the Father, I mean, eternity separated from me. Because I haven't allowed him to come in my life to reconcile me, reconcile me back to him. This morning, you can simply come to the Father and say, yes, I accept that gift of salvation. I accept that you sent your son to die for my sin. I would want him to rule in my heart and in my mind. This morning, as we get ready to sing in just a second, my prayer is that you do business with God and allow him to speak to you. And take what you've heard this morning, and don't just listen to it, but you take what you've heard this morning and apply it to your life, apply it to your heart. Renew, restore that relationship with him that may be broken. Start that relationship with him if you don't know him. Whatever needs to be done in just a moment after I pray, you business with God. Father, if you come to this moment, Father, help us to block out the things that need to be done. Father, help us to block out the noise surrounding us. And Father, may we continue our focus and attention on you. Father, may we stand in awe of you and what you've done for us to sin in your son. This morning, my prayer is that you would speak into the hearts of individuals. And Father, here in this sacred moment, that we as individuals will be with you. Father, I pray these things in your son.